Good morning, RCC family. If you are tuning in for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so happy that you're worshiping with us this morning. As you know, we are only live streaming today. So if you're craving community, jump into the comments. We would love to see you guys interact there. This morning, I only have one announcement for you. This Friday from 5 to 7, City Kids will be hosting a Bible Buddy drive-by. So essentially, you'll come in your car, socially distanced with your child, and you will drive through the adoption process of a stuffed animal that will serve as a companion or Bible buddy for your child as they do all of the activities and games provided by the City Kids Ministry. It's going to be super cute. I kind of want one. You might see me there. Again, it's going to be this Friday from 5 to 7. All right, so for this morning's psalm, it's going to be from Psalm 139, and it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You've searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. I shall, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And so, Father God, we just love that you are a God who is known to be attentive. We thank you that you are a God who is acquainted with all of our ways and that you plan out our day and our life for our good and our pleasure. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning in the homes of everyone listening and in the church of everyone giving. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you are moving in our community. Give us eyes to see your hand at work in the world. Give us assignment and courage to do the things that you are asking us to do to participate with the kingdom. And Lord, this morning we silence all of our distractions, we silence our doubts, and we just press in fully to the goodness and the glory that is you and your son. And we love you, and in your holy name we pray. going to pray this morning for the needs of our world and our community and all those in it. Mariah read Psalm 139 this morning, and a verse out of Psalm 139 says that you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. So we're praying, God, that the words that are in our minds and in our hearts might be made visible today even in places, God, as we gather in our homes. So we're praying for the universal church, its members and its mission. 
We're praying for our surrounding churches and our network churches that your mission would go forward despite the hindrances that we have. We're praying for all of our brothers and sisters who suffer from coronavirus across our world, that you would heal and provide opportunities for unity. And we're praying for the family of a Christian missionary in India that was murdered this past week. We pray for his family, that you would bring comfort to him and all those affected. We're praying for the South African church that had a faction uprising within the church that resulted in a hostage situation with five people murdered this week. And we pray that you would make sense of situations like this, and that you might bring healing to the members of that community. Lord, hear our prayer. We're praying for our world and all those in it, for all of our political leaders across our world, that you would bring wisdom, that they might do what is best for all of their citizens. We're continuing to pray for the injustice in Nigeria as there's a genocide happening by Boko Haram and other extremist groups. We're praying for the eyes of the oppressors to be opened and for aid to be sent from neighboring countries. We're continuing to pray for the systems of racial oppression in our own country, that strides would be made for criminal justice and police reform to make for a more equitable society. Lord, hear our prayer. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, we're praying for the families with children in school as they make difficult decisions in the coming weeks. God, we pray that you would provide clarity. And we're also praying for our low-income neighbors. God, that you might bring resources out of nowhere, God, that they might have the resources they need and technology to have their kids in school. God, we're praying for those who are hungry, homeless, and unemployed in our community, that you might offer bravery and show us opportunities that we might be a part of the solution. Lord, hear our prayer. For the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it, we're praying for all of those isolated and lonely this morning. God, that you might bring these people to our minds. God, that, that we might reach out and offer a word of encouragement to meet their need. We're praying for Sam Allman's sister who's seeking employment and a new home. We're praying that you would bring new options for her. We're praying and being thankful, God, for the Wiggins' new baby, Natalie Marie. Pray that you would bless them. We look forward to seeing her soon. We're praying for healing for Susan Coley's friend, Greta. That, God, that you might provide wisdom for the doctors and work a miracle in her life. We're praying for the health of all of our church family, that you might protect us in the ways that we are not able to protect ourselves. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to start. What, what I've loved is navigating the different ways to enter into preaching. And typically when we record, I, it takes me about 10 minutes to get into the message because I don't know how to start. So we always have this like time of laughter at how goofy I am. I can't do that now because you're there and I'm here and we're going to just start. Real quick though, you've noticed that we're not here today and that we're spending four weeks stepping back away from meeting in person and doing online services and there's a few reasons for that. There was a video I posted earlier this week you can check out, but the main reasons were the numbers in Smyrna had started to rise. That was number one. Uh, number two was we noticed that um, while we're loving gathering together, last weekend we had a lot of people come to our second service, 
even more than we were probably supposed to have in this space. Um, we haven't had a ton of people that could volunteer just because of the situation we're in, and that's not a shaming thing, that's just the reality, and so our staff has had to do multiple different roles, and it's become weighty. Um, and then thirdly, we prayed together as a wise council and staff, and we felt like this was the right decision for our body over the next few weeks. Um, one of the things we're going to do on top of that is we're actually giving our staff time off starting next week for 10 days. And so the idea is to give them a space to renew, be refreshed. A lot of people don't really understand this, but and this is just the, the nature of what we're in, but Church staffs right now are having to do similar amounts of work, but then also a little more, and there's less re relational kind of um, activity and connection. And so it's a weighty season, and I think it is for everybody, but we want to be very good about loving our staff. And so we were already going to take a break from gathering for that purpose. And then after prayer and seeking, we felt, every one of us felt convinced this was the right thing. And we trust Jesus to do what needs to be done. And it's going to give us the opportunities in the next weeks to talk about as a body, what does it look like to pivot again in this season and to see the gospel and Jesus and the community thrive? Because there's not a scenario where Jesus is like, guys, just go figure this out, and I'll, I'll be back when you guys have got it. We really feel like we have such opportunities in this season that look a little different, and they're causing us to be creative in different ways. We're going to reach out to you guys. We're going to do pots again, prayers of the season for those who don't know what that is. We collectively pray together about the things we sense God doing. We ask him to speak, and then we go after those things. We're going to do that for about the next month. And we're also going to get creative on our tender loving care, TLC, with the body and how to um, continue to meet needs. So just kind of keep your eyes open over the next few weeks. Um, you're going to get some emails, some questionnaires, some of the things we'll be doing in person that you haven't heard about yet. Um, we'll also give you opportunity to share your heart, your thoughts, and where you see the gospel thriving, because it is thriving. Today we're going to jump back into parables, which we talked about last week. And what a parable does to a person is not allow a person to look at a situation the way they typically would. So the reason we have parables in Scripture is to make us have to think about what we think we already know and approach it differently. If you hear a parable in a text and you're just like, oh, I got it, you didn't get it. That was The point was to make you see how much you didn't get it and make you think about it differently, which is why I love the way that Jesus presents the gospel to people. Everyone feels like they have a good idea of what he means. No one has a good idea of what he means, even his own, until later, until he, until he leaves. So as you've seen over the past few weeks, the parables and the discussions have been almost agricultural. And it's pointed to the process in which the way Jesus does things. And in us even in this season, the speed of which he grows the things of the kingdom. We would love it to look like our culture wants it to look, which is see it, claim it, get it, mine. But it's not like that. To be with Jesus and to gift this culture would be to show the way that Jesus processes the growth as discipleship, spiritual formation, and even the community. It's typically a slower role, and that is purposeful. It jars us, right? We talked about one time about how the gospel is meant to be walked, right? We like to drive. Try walking in your city and see how differently you feel about it. You'll experience the sights. You'll smell the smells. You'll feel the world. We drive from place to place because we'd rather not have to go at the speed we're actually created to go. Today's text is a hard text, and I want to just offer a few things to you before we read it. This is definitely one we would be like, we'll maybe do that one as a devotion one day. 
But the way that we do the scriptures we choose is we, we preach what's presented through the lectionary. This is not one people are like dying to preach. Because hard texts do things to us, and they bump into the way that we believe and the way that we see Jesus. So for me, for instance, 20 years ago, if I would have read this text, I would have instantly shut down and not wanted to approach it or even interact with it because I would be certain that I am the one who wouldn't receive what was needed. Now when I read it, I have a lens to see it through the experience I've had with Jesus. I've seen that he is faithful. I've seen that when he feels like he's not going to come through, he comes through, even if it's not like I want. I've seen and, and tasted that he is good. I get a sense, a strong sense when I'm with Jesus that he desires to be with me, and he's not just there to make me perform better for his kingdom. I get a sense that he, I get a sense that he's always asking me to slow down, sir. I would like you to see how I love you without you doing anything. So when I approach this text, I'm asking you to do a similar thing. What do you already know about Jesus? We've talked about he's the shepherd. We talked about he is speaking to us. We talked about he is leading us. He's with us in the desert. He's guiding us through the desert. He's always with. His presence is for us. We want to be a people who would be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. So as I read this, keep that in mind. Don't just check out. When you start to want to check out, ask yourself, why do I want to check out right now? Something that's used in this is the idea of a paradox, which is this idea of two things together that should not be together. And there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose to put two things together all throughout the scriptures so that we're like, those things don't fit together. But it gives us space to be in a world that does not offer clean lines, a world that's messy. It gives us a tension almost to hold on to and to have to deal with things. Some of the examples, and I don't know if you'll be able to see these up there, of tensions and paradoxes in the Bible are God is one and God is three. Yes, he's both. Explain it? Okay, that's going to be hard to do. Jesus is God and human, fully both. Hard to explain. A truth, right? It gives us attention to be able to approach our world that's an unclean and not hemmed into our perfect little ideas. The Bible is the word of God. It is authored by flawed humans. This paradox, right? Creation is good. Creation is broken. To give is to receive, like the Yoda parts of the text. To die is to live, right? Like, is it really? Yeah, it is. To pardon is to be pardoned. To be weak is to be strong. So the idea of these things that shouldn't go together and parables that make us think about it differently are doing something in us to make us have to slow down with what we already think we know and hold tensions in our mind that typically are not satisfied. If you've satisfied all the tensions in the text, you're reading it wrong. It's meant to stir us in ways that has to include the Spirit of God and the community of God for it to guide us. It's not to be mastered. No one will master it. It is a living, breathing, ancient, now text. And so today, that's just all I'm going to give you as we read this. If you'll pull up Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. So Jesus put another parable before them saying, So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. 
So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in the gathering the weeds you root up, the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us this parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, Okay, here goes. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Probably the most horrifying for me, historically, that statement is like, what is that? What does gnashing even mean? It's horrifying. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's another like week where he's saying, if you have ears, hear it. I'm like, I got ears, right? Don't know if I'm hearing it yet. This is confusing. So there's a parable shift from last week to this week. Last week, there were four soils, and the seed was all good. And the sower threw it to the soils generously, just overwhelmingly lavishing, not even caring if it lands on roofs or sidewalks or on passing by cars. He was going to fertilize that soil with the good seed, and one-fourth of that soil was going to produce a harvest that would make a family never have to work again. This week, very different. Here, there are two sowers. One is a good sower who sows wheat that will grow. The entire crop starts off good. There's another sower who sows differently, who sneaks in at night and sows harmful seed that will hurt. And so I just, there's a question that I don't even think is super crazy that I just can't wrap my brain around. The slaves, by the way, are the only ones not really explained what they are in the parable. And their question is, did you not sow good seed? Well, yeah. Well, there's bad, do you want, there's bad stuff in there. Do you want us to get it out? And Jesus, no, no there's, the enemy came and did that. If this happened to any of us and someone broke in our house at night and took all our stuff, our questions would not be like, can we just make sure we get this stuff back? We would be like, who just broke into our house? Why is this not happening? Why, is he not, why are the slaves not saying, who is the enemy? Like, what? Why are we not talking about the enemy? Do we need to be prepared for like, this to happen again? Like, do you want us to stay up tonight? Because the enemy seems pretty clever. He's worked his way in. What do we do about the enemy? There's not even a discussion about the enemy. The slaves are thinking about, what do we do about the wheat that's in the field? Like, what? We need to make sure that is good wheat. And Jesus then doesn't even answer, like, as abnormal as that is, he goes even more abnormal. He's not like, 
yeah, let's make sure the wheat is good, right? Like, this needs to be good. He's like, no. Not only are they not dealing with the enemy at this point, they're not dealing with what the enemy has planted in the midst of the crop, which is confusing. Leave it. Let it grow. And if you're the people, you're probably like, and this, of course, is a parable, so it's not really happening. You're probably like, okay, this, this is not a good plan. Like, this is almost as bad as your plan last week, Jesus, where you were just going to waste all the seed. But we digress. You're Jesus. We're not. What, why are we not doing something? So the, the, the bad seed that's sown here is actually thought to be what's called bearded darnel. And some of you will maybe look that up today. And the idea with this particular seed is that while it's growing with the wheat, it actually looks exactly like it. It's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. And it's almost impossible to tell. But the biggest difference in the two plants are that, or in the two seeds, is that it grows in the bearded darnel, and then when the fruit is taken off and eaten, it can produce either extremely strong hallucinations or even death. So as it grows, it looks so similar that it's hard to tell. But then when the fruit is produced and the seeds come off, it produces hallucinogenins. And some people are like, okay. But nobody wants to die, right? Like, so, so what is he saying here? Here comes the descriptions. Like, This is one of those we talked about in our staff. Like, This is one where it's not even like, oh, here it is, and here it is, and there it is, and that's what it is, and okie dokie. But the community of God is this. It's talking about, This is a picture of the community of God or the church. And he's saying to them, there's going to be wheat and there's going to be bearded darnel. There's going to be the children of God and there's going to be the children of the devil. That strong language, right? Let it do to you what it does to you. And they are going to exist together. And he has to be thinking that his disciples are like, so you're saying there's going to be both evil and good even in the community? And he has to be thinking, for my disciples, I bet they are thinking about, so who in here is, who in here is the, the evil? Like I, I think that's what we would do as well, is think about who are the people that do not need to be in here because we know that they're evil. And right, this is not getting into like church discipline or the idea of being corrected or growing or iron sharpening iron. This is not the idea of like, you know what, Jesus loves all and just do what you want, you know, like just do what you want. That's not what's being said here, right? But he probably knew that his disciples, I think two things were happening for the disciples. One, I actually think this would probably encourage them. Because they know in this scenario, they're not what the evil one has planted for the most part. They know in this scenario that there are true enemies about that are strongly opposing the gospel of Jesus and are making life hard. Some people are losing their lives even. Some people are fleeing from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And he also knows that as he teaches them this, they're starting to think about themselves So if there's both of these things in the community, and I've struggled with just these things that you've labeled Jesus, which one am I? So it creates a tension in everyone, right? Especially the disciples who betray, 
who mistrust, who think they know what to do, who are filled with pride and would do it differently with Jesus quickly, who would challenge Jesus when he says to not do something. These are people who are not fully wheat. So he's saying to them, I would rather you not exclude yourself from this midst. Because when you think you've found out who are the ones that need to be excluded, because there are working within our communities, evil, noxious, growing, penetrating, permeating, actual evil, right? And that's another thing that Jesus is not trying to pretend like is not there. Our culture now is not comfortable with the thought of evil. Even in the church, we'd rather just be like, I just made some mistakes or, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, like the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make me do it. I just did a thing. We don't like to be in this tension to think that there is a force that is actively permeating and growing right in our midst. Like, we don't like to think of it in that way. We don't like to put it in those kind of buckets because that's kind of old and kind of out of date and maybe not helpful for the way that we see Jesus on mission. Because isn't he just generous and inviting people to his table? But he's saying you have to realize, like, the gospel of Jesus is really good. The message of the church is really good. But evil is real. It's a real thing. And we see it when we fight injustices, when we want to become vocal about what we want to see God restore. We see it in our mission, and we want to even name it in our world, right? We have a hard time naming it in ourselves, which is why he says to them, I'm not telling you how to remove the tares, because you'll remove all the wrong things. You'll remove what you think is the evil, and the evil is actually much deeper than that. There's actually a whole structure of people in this society who everyone believes is the most religious, who is working the most evil. No one knows heads from tails. Jesus comes in as the shepherd guide and says, wait. It's almost as if he's saying, watch what I can do with a lifetime, right? Because I do think if we extracted our lives and put them on a board and I was like, this is when Josh was evil and this is when Josh was good, there'd be so much of both in my perception that I would have a hard time telling, which one am I? This war is happening within me, within the body of Christ, within the world. So why is he teaching them this? Why is he telling them, don't rush to judgment and do this on your own? Why is he saying, I'll sort it out in the end? Why is he telling them this? Again, why doesn't this sit well with us and probably with them? You have to hear this in the right way. And I don't actually know why we struggle with this as badly as we do. Why would we not want true evil eradicated why in this passage do and this is especially me when I first read it why is our first interaction oh good oh good grief this is most likely me why is our first reaction not thank you Jesus that you are going to restore what is so engrafted in us that we assume that this is too hard for us or What in us desires to eradicate it in someone else so much that we will never view our own own situation? I don't know. But the motive here 
This is, the, I think, the beautiful part of Christianity and the part that I will continue to ask Jesus to clarify and cleanse for me is that he's not sending us to be the children that find the tares. Like he didn't answer the slaves' questions correctly because he desperately did not want them to be the children that found the tares, that that would be their ministry because they might have become good at that. And what would happen in the midst of that? What would happen to a church that eradicates all evil? Who's left? I think... The live stream this morning after that happened would just be us watching like the back wall. It would just be us like, is, something, is somebody going to do something? Because Jesus knows what can happen in a lifetime. God knows what can happen in a lifetime. The kind of formation that creates a church that looks like a hospital and that looks like a place of healing. The kind that welcomes the broken in when they are actually broken without requiring them to be unbroken. The kind that doesn't place boundaries before people know who they are but helps people along. The kind that has two people existing together and one has evil intent and one has the intent of the Holy Spirit and somehow trusting God in that to do the work is not that one who has the Holy Spirit showing the evil one how evil they are, but still trusting God that in the end he can sort out the things. It creates environments we are uncomfortable with, but those are the ones he wants us to live in. And even in the church, it would be impossible to eradicate all evil. The churches that have become good at trying to do that are the worst version of churches I've ever seen. Am I saying, we're open to whatever you want to do, man? Like, just come do it, you know? Your freedom is your freedom and your truth is your truth. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying Jesus does not rush to judge. Jesus does not ask us to do that. And he also says that the wheat will grow. In the end, this parable is about disciples trying to hear about how to be in a society where it seems like everything's falling apart. No one's really with them. How are we going to move forward? Why do we keep hiding? Why are people trying to kill us? What is going on? And he's saying the wheat is going to grow. I will be faithful You will be sustained. In the end, it will get sorted. That's not your job. The wheat will grow. Fear does not have to be in the midst of this. Be present. Understand the realities of evil. You're not on a witch hunt for this. He will continue to grow us. They're not the ones who he's saying will be weeded out. He's sharing with them, my gospel is good, it's going forward. I want to read you this quote really quickly. I don't have it for the screen, but we can post it later. This is by Patrick J. Wilson. This is a little bit provocative, so put on your provocative hats. Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a rock, fixed and solid and firm and unchanging. Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a giant machine, That you put some things in and you get some things out. And that what you get out depends upon how much you put in. He said it was like an enormous tree that grows out of a tiny seed. A tree that grows so enormous that all the birds of the air can come and find shelter in its branches. Even strange little ducks like you and me. He said that God was like a housewife who puts a smidgen of yeast in three measures of flour and that yeast yields its life into the whole batch of dough. That is the way the kingdom is, growing from the very beginning into all that God has intended. From the foundation of the world, the very first moment of creation, 
It is the kingdom that has been on God's mind, and God will be infinitely patient as it grows. What happens throughout a lifetime? What can God do with a lifetime? He can't do it all in a week. He can't do it in a discipleship course. He can't do it by moving all of the the things that you know are the enemy just there to harm you by just getting those out so you have a clean box to live in. What can he do in a lifetime with someone who has to trust that he will come through because they can't? What can he do in a lifetime when he tells you, sit patiently and wait? My day is coming. I will cleanse. I will restore. I will bring justice where it's needed. I will give those who need mercy, mercy. I will heal those who are not yet healed. I will restore those who are broken. I will bring reconciliation. I will bring refreshing. What can he do when he approaches the things that we try and quench? When we decide we're going to do it, it does not usually work out. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Today, if I just want to, I just want to pray this for you today, that that if you could do one thing this week, and you have space, some of you don't. Some of you need to talk to us because we need to help you figure out how to do life because it just got a little crazier for you going into the school year. We would like to help in every way we can. But some of you just need to be reminded of what it's like to sit and be with Jesus. Josh, you're not speaking my language. That's not how I approach the text. Being with Jesus for a Christian is an active, alive, everyday kind of thing. If you struggle in it, it's not meant to shame you. You might need to approach it a little differently and open up space to say, Father, I need to be nourished by you. I need you to draw me into this season. The world is hard to read. Let alone paradoxes from scripture. I walk outside my door. There's a pandemic happening. My kids are freaking out in my house. There is racial tension everywhere. I don't know how I'm going to eat. Is there a second check coming? What are we doing? My kids are all in sports. Oh, that'll make it all better. No, what are we doing? We need Jesus more now than we've ever needed him. And he's giving us an opportunity like we've never had. He's taking away our safe places and giving us opportunities to grow and develop at the kind of pace that produces seeds into plants, into trees, into fruit, where birds and ducks can come and hang. This is the message of the gospel. Our pace is not his pace. When he said, my time is not like your time, he wasn't just saying, I'm gonna do it so quick that you don't have to have any work. He was also saying, My pace is not your pace. Have you ever walked across the country? Have you ever sat through an entire service at church without feeling like you were going to freak out? His pace, I think, is the kind of pace that makes us experience presently what's happening. And he's there with us, guiding us, right? Let's not drive on ahead of him and then wait on him again, you know? Now I'm just rambling, guys, and it's going to be okay. And my goal was to bring my phone because I was going to say, like, hey, you're on this, but I'm just going to try and remember the people that were on this. Um, I miss you all, and we're going to be getting together soon. And we're going to put our heads together in prayer and our hearts together. And we're as a body not going to just wait for another Sunday experience to come. Like, what a flaw that would be to just wait and pretend like, Everything will be better when we're all back together and we can have more than 50 people in a room. That's not the point of the season. The season is how is God thriving? And he is. And how are we being invited into that? I want to hear from you your creativity. 
I want to hear from you what God's doing in your midst. Where are you seeing the gospel flourish? We're going to be reaching out to you and asking you over the next few weeks with POTS, TLC in August, staff breaks, and maybe you can turn some love back on the staff. No shame there. Just the weightiness of it is strong. And I'm going to close today by praying just a simple prayer with you. Okay? So if you'd like to close your eyes, I won't be able to tell if you're doing that or not. It's honor system. Jesus, I read these texts and I love it because I now realize that these are confusing, hard to navigate texts and they're made to be that. Because you don't want to be, you don't want to be so easy to figure out that we don't have to wrestle anymore. So if we're wrestling, it's a sign that we are probably doing it right. If we're interacting with our structures that are keeping us safe and it doesn't feel safe, it's probable that you're active in it with us. And I just sense that when you were wrestling with Jacob, he had no idea. He was confused. But he came out of that with a new identity. He came out of that knowing more fully who he was and what you were leading him into. He was limping, and some of us feel like we're limping, but that was a part of how he would then move about the world and how you called him. Help us to wrestle faithfully with what it means to be a Christian, the body of Christ, to love one another well, to, to forgive one another, to make space, to not be quick to judgment, to trust that you are going to bring redemption, reconciliation, but to be in a space where we can be fed and filled and loved and nourished by a loving shepherd father who produces bread, sometimes by the five thousands for those who are hungry, to point to a larger meal of the cross, the Jesus that died for us to be with us, and the Holy Spirit that is here with us now, even in this moment, speaking to our hearts, saying, I am with you, let me be with you. I don't ever do this, but I, I just got like a sense for, for the six people watching right now. So the percentages are high on this being for somebody. I just sensed as I prayed, like there's a wall that went up like, like that. Like you're just, nope, not getting into that space. No shame, but I believe that Jesus would like to just interact with you about the wall. So Father, I thank you that you're the God who knocks and lets us let you in. So I just ask you, Jesus, to approach each of us as we're here today. And whatever wall surfaces when we need to be intimate with you, to be loved by you, to be guided by you, to say to you, you're our first, you're our last, you're what matters most. Whatever wall surfaces when we think about that, I pray, Jesus, that you would just knock. And I kind of hear him saying, like, what is this wall? What can we do with it? What's this about? Jesus, we need you in there. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.